Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And you, it's hard to not think about grilling when you think about the state of Minnesota. And I'm here with Andy Static. He is one of the owners of a product that many of you maybe have seen. I have one, and we love it. It is called the Great Scrape. It is a barbecue tool to clean your grill. Andy, you guys have just taken the barbecue world by storm with this product, and it's so simple. Can you tell me how you thought of it? Yeah, so actually my business partner came up with the original concept, and it all started um, that he got grill for a housewarming gift. And the grill actually had porcelain coated grates. And inside okay. the instruction, yeah, inside the instruction manual, it said, don't use a metal scraper or wire brush because it can damage the grates. And he was like, well, okay, there's really nothing else out there <laughs> to um, to use. So developed a very like crude shim almost to be able to start and then evolved it over time. We went through all the, you know, the legal work to secure patents and um, um, started started using it. And then friends and family became interested. So we decided to test the market on it and um, started growing up sales locally here within Minnesota. So. so if I could ask you, you kind of glossed over and then we got a patent, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. is a very long process. So yes. From the time that you guys decided to invent this, did you get yep. the patent right away before you brought it to market or what was that process like? Yeah. So basically, um, after we thought that it might have some legs, um, started talking with some um, legal teams and get, got that ball rolling as soon as we thought that it could be something that we would we would bring to market. So it's a lengthy process, kind of like an evaluation of what else is out there. Um, is there anything that has been in the market like it in the past? So wanted to definitely get all of our ducks in a row in regarding to all the, the, the patent work and everything before fully bringing it to market. One question I have for you too is, so you have a patent and my husband is an inventor of things, so he has a couple. But sure. just because you have a patent doesn't mean that somebody can't try to just steal your product idea. So I'm assuming you've had imitators and you've had to go after them to protect your patent. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a um, constant battle. So it's kind of blessing and a curse, right? So when you tend to see some success, there's others that to imitate. So there's are definitely knockoffs in the market. So it's something that we're constantly evaluating. I'm looking at literally on a weekly basis and talking with the patent team to um, either work through like cease and desist or that type of process to ensure that um, we try and minimize all that. But it is, it's a constant battle on, it's kind of like, I always joke around that it's like whack-a-mole, like they keep popping up and then you have to keep knocking them down, but it's, it's kind of a, a constant thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, you you get the patent, you decide that you're going to bring the product to market. Yep. Do you remember when you guys started, like how much you each put into the business and like, okay, I'm going to put 10,000 in, you put 10,000 in. How did that work? Yeah. So it kind of all really was in, in order to buy the, our product, right? So to have it produced and to buy the wood and the materials and things like that. And we started out extremely small, right? We actually were literally in a garage, <laughs> making them in a garage to then sure. to produce and uh, distribute. So um, it was kind of like, it was almost like ad hoc as we needed things, uh, we'd have to buy things and then hopefully get the return on that to work to then buy the next thing and kind of snowball. And that's primarily how we, we drove growth. It was kind of crazy because actually like, the very first year um, we had submitted to get into the Minnesota State Fair. 
And we lucked out like normally, you know, it's a huge waiting list and we just happen to be a unique product for a unique area. And we got in that very first year. So we had to put in a bunch of funds to be able to build enough to, um, and it was a complete guess on how many we were going to do to be able to, to sell them at the fair that year. And it panned out. So then again, it kind of created that snowball effect of then reinvested all the, the dollars back in from all the sales to, to additional growth. So, and it's, uh, that's kind of how we got got up and running. Do you, do you remember how many you sold at the state fair your first year? Ooh, um, <laughs> so that's been over ten years ago now. I think it uh, it's hard to say. It was uh, I think a couple thousand. Um, so okay. we were super super excited about it at the time. But yeah, <laughs> so it definitely got us up and running. So at what point did you guys decide like okay? Because I'm assuming at this point you had other jobs and you were doing yeah. other things. Yep. At what point were you able to quit your job and devote yourself full time to Great Scrape? Yeah, so that took quite a quite a while. So we were all um, like working nights, weekends, you know, using our vacation days to then <laughs> go do events and retailer shows and things like that. So it was definitely probably about let's see, four to five years in before we could actually get like focused and dedicated and leave our day jobs type of thing. And did, how many of there were you and did you stagger it? So like, I'm going to leave my job first and then. Correct. Yep, we did. So um, my business partner, Nate was the first one on board and he started out full time and then I did. And then we started hiring on some other folks. So yeah, we kind of staggered it. So (laughs) trying, you know, to again, uh, rolling with the growth uh, curve to figure that out. So what was your family like in the early days? Like, I think it's really hard on families to invest in this company. You're super motivated, but they don't see you bringing home a paycheck. That's hard just on the family in general. Can you remember back to what that felt like? And Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's um extremely challenging. So I was fortunate enough that my wife was extremely understanding and being able to manage everything at home. And all the while we were going through an adoption process too. Um, wow. So trying to build the business plus do the adoption process, getting everything uh, aligned for that. So um, very, very challenging. So like I had mentioned, it, it's it was a lot of like, Hey, late nights, even like, like no sleep potential. I remember some, some nights building out our website from the very first time, like just staying up all night and getting, getting it done over a weekend and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's tough, definitely a balancing act and you have to be very focused and dedicated because it's, it's not an easy, not an easy climb. And I, it's rare that I get to talk to people that have so much experience. So you guys are 10 years out now. Yeah. Uh, when you look back, are there any mistakes that you made? And I know there are because everybody <laughs> makes mistakes that like, yes. wow, I wish we would have done this then, or I wish we would have done this sooner. Is there something that yeah. sticks out? <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> so it's kind of a constant, like evolve and iterate. And as you go, I would say like defining what our product assortment was, our retail pricing, understanding the logistics to be able to get it from like where we started working with retailers, the state fair, for example, was one thing, but then when you get into the the retail realm, you're dealing with wholesale, um, reduced costs, minimum order quantities. How do you, you know, ship, warehouse, all that fun stuff. And we kind of, so I think there's a, there's a lot of different ones around like 
if we would have had a designated assortment to make it easier, pricing, aligning pricing better, because then we had to make adjustments after the fact around retail pricing and wholesale pricing. Were you too expensive in the beginning, do you think? Or tell me about that. Well, very, very, very beginning, we were too cheap. Interesting. <laughs> yep. Which, and obviously we didn't necessarily factor in all the um, simple things, right? Like shipping boxes. Okay. Well, there's a cost to that, right? And, yeah. and building all of that in on the very, very early days. So we had to reevaluate and kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, literally line item, every single breakdown of every single expense that, that occurs to make sure that it's, it's profitable and we're able to, again, kind of drive. It sounds like such a simple thing, but Mm -hmm. you're not alone in that many people that produce things don't really know the cost of goods to get that into the consumer's hands. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Then there's so many other, I mean, you have your primary cost of goods and then your secondary cost of goods. And those secondary cost of goods can kind of creep up on you, whether, I mean, it's like I said, simple things that that you didn't necessarily take into consideration. So after a period of time, you kind of have to go back and reevaluate and see where you were at again to, to make sure all the numbers work as yeah, looking at just your like on a product perspective, just looking at the product is one thing, but all that other additional stuff tends to add up. Can you tell me when you had your first like big sale and what that felt like? <laughs> yeah. So our largest one is we actually worked with Costco. It was still pretty early. So it was kind of crazy where we jumped from like doing shows like the state fair to local retailers to couple like smaller regional players, then to Costco. There was, we didn't really have like the progression to more like smaller national folks. And then, so it kind of went from the extremes. So I still remember um, <laughs> that's prior to coming on full time. So it was like still doing the nights and weekends thing. And they had seen us at a trade show that we had done and we were really busy. And then they called after the fact and it was like, oh, whoa, you know, <laughs> and I remember frantically like, okay, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to handle this? Can we even produce enough to be able to fill what they're looking for and all of that? So it uh, it was extremely <laughs> um, nuts during that Was time. it at that point that you decided that you couldn't keep making it yourself? And tell me when you decided to make that process shift. Correct. Yeah. So um, once we started to build up there, just looking at what our output was with our existing processes, it just it, it wasn't viable. So that's when we started to secure additional manufacturer uh, manufacturing and um, leverage different manufacturing facilities to be able to um, produce for that. So. so is it as simple as just like going and calling manufacturers and saying like, hey, I produced this thing. Can you help me? How did you like, yeah. how do you even vet a manufacturer? There's a, yeah, a lot of different things. So obviously just on capability, right? Looking at that, do they have the capability? Do they have the facilities? Can they do the output that you're looking to? Um, there's looking and at- And don't they uh, all say yes? Of course. Yep. Right. Everybody says that until they start to like get into it a little bit. I mean, to be honest, we had to work through a couple different manufacturers. We had a couple that couldn't keep up with timelines, couldn't keep up with quality control. So we were having to, you know, rework things. Um, and you do your best up front by looking at references, um, looking at the other products that they produced. We called other folks that they had produced things for and kind of got the personal opinion of them on how they are to work with. Yeah. It's so it's, there's definitely, a lot of legwork up front. But like I said, even 
doing all of those steps too, it's not foolproof by any means. So you sure. Have to be, yeah. You kind of have to be prepared to adapt along the way as well, which we had to do, um, figure out who, who can produce or the quality that we need and the timings that we need. Okay. So you go through you, your manufacturing, who does the marketing? So we, we do that in-house. Uh, so we, as we kind of progress, because originally it was just us, right? <laughs> it's like, and I have some marketing experience, but I'm not, I've in my positions in the past, I've never been solely focused on marketing. There's been some kind of ancillary things. So we built it up ourselves until we got to a point where we were able to um, hire that in-house. So. And how do you market? Is it direct to consumer? Do you have an online business plus the retail? What's your strategy? Yeah, our, we have a pretty wide breadth. So we do direct to consumer and that's through multiple efforts. So um, we have social, um, we do email campaigns, we do some ad buys, we do keyword buys through like Google yeah. um, and different things like that. And then uh, also we do the marketing to retailers. So we do that through a, a host of different things, whether that be attendance at different trade show or retail show events, and then also integrating email campaigns. We haven't done a whole lot of kind of um, like blasting it out there via TV. We've done some radio spots, some local mailers and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a blend. Have you ever done like a QVC or some of the shopping channels? Um, we have not. We've talked to a couple of different ones. Um, probably the closest thing that closest thing that we have done is we actually did Good Morning Good Morning America um, back in June, um, and saw significant success from that, especially with the times now with um, COVID. Yeah. So um, it basically was a lot that was, it was featured on the show as one of their steals and deals. And then direct, the consumer would direct order it from a microsite that they created. And then we would ship out direct to the consumer. And then we also have the view actually coming up in November, November 23rd, that we're going to be featured there as well. So similar. That's type. cool. I didn't realize that those, I should have realized it, but I didn't, that those are pay for play type of opportunities in general. Like how much does something like that cost just ballpark? Well, so interesting enough, it's um, how they're structured um, is a little bit different where it's not paying up front, And it's almost like a traditional wholesale model where it's a, it's a, it's a percent that is given. Oh, depending cool. on. And you said it was successful on uh, good morning America. So I would assume the view will have a similar fingers crossed. Yep. Are you worried about retail for the holidays this year? I'm speaking to you. It's middle of October. Retailers have already put their uh, holiday orders. And I'm assuming like nobody knows what holiday is going to look like with COVID. Right. It's it's really volatile. And it's interesting because there's pockets of retail that are doing well. And it tends to be more focused on the larger retailers, unfortunately. So um, I think it's a, definitely a larger struggle. And that's what we're seeing with some of the smaller retailers like the mom and pops or the independents, where we've even talked to some that just say, hey, they're closed for a period and they don't know when they're going to open back up if they will. So we've seen a Definitely a challenge there on the smaller business independence um, on being open if they can and how that looks. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very uh, I'll call it volatile is probably yeah. the best word. It's so yeah, sad it's, too uh, you know, because you know. when you look at a maker market or people that make products, the first place you usually get them in a store is a local retail situation or a Flex. mom and pop. And then you get big enough that maybe you can get into those national retailers, but you probably wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for the neighbor down the street. Yeah. So it's just, it is kind of sad. When you do 
social media. How do you know that works for you? <laughs> That's it's interesting, right? To try and be able to to weigh that out. It's it's something also that's not very easy. So we tend to integrate uh, different URL and clickbacks, um, or potentially feature different things like coupon codes that help us give us some um, numbers to what that looks like. So whether it be click through and click rates or redemption of things like promo codes. So it's it's. It's not the easiest of things because right because because it can be seen and then there may not be a purchase or something till later on. So that's how we tend to try and track and understand if it's if it's impactful. One thing that occurs to me too, like Great Scrape seems like it's this tool, right? But it also seems like it's kind of a lifestyle product because there's this whole lifestyle around grilling. Is that yeah. something you explore in your social? Yeah, for sure. We we play to the uh, the industry a hundred percent. So it's like we you know we have fun with it. We're in the barbecue industry where we produce a grill cleaning tool. So the industry is fun. We we have you know try and be playful and have a good time with it. Um, so you know we you know we hope that that it comes across too uh, when we when we are on social and things like that. So we engage um, you know basically anybody that engages us and we have fun with it and kind of play around with ideas or concepts for recipes that we tend a feature and things like that too. So do you literally respond when someone has a question on social media or do you have a person that does it? So I used to respond to every single one, um, but now I do um, uh, have somebody that responds. Yeah. It's hard too. I was thinking it just being, you know, when you're the social media person and you're on working 24 seven, cause that's when social media is on. Correct. Like I work with some social media clients and you know, 11 o'clock at night, I'm trying to figure out where their salad dressing is, you know, yep. it's kind of crazy. Yep. Yeah. When you get the notification, yeah. At like 11 at night or seven in the morning or whatever. <laughs> and just kind of like, obviously the benefit with phones and, and now it's kind of uh pro and con, right? Accessible all sure. the time. So you can respond all the time, but then again, you're kind of on all the time as well. You guys have this core product. At what point do you create a product extension. And as inventors and creators, I bet you're always wanting to do new stuff, but you probably have to talk yourself out of doing too much new stuff. Correct. Yeah. So for ours, basically, we evolved into different um, models and versions, right? So still staying really core, again, we have a very focused product that cleans the grill, but extending out. And, and what we did is we used a lot of feedback that we got from customers, right? Like, hey, I kind of like this. I don't like this. Um, so we evolved the product and created a line that kind of fits some of the stuff we got feedback on, as well as um, hits different price points too. So because for some people, like it was either too expensive or not. So we kind of now we have a, um, a line that extends beyond that. And we're kind of continually evolving and looking at that to figure out what additions. And we have some prototypes that are built in design and some we've kind of put out there that just, you know, there's doesn't make sense or doesn't work. So then we kind of pull back and reevaluate. Can you tell me about a product that you thought was going to go gangbusters that just didn't work? <laughs> so there's a couple things around we're looking at replaceable tips and they've been all right but not to the like in our heads right it was the next level of the best thing in the world <laughs> like, yeah 
Perfect. Perfect. And we still see a strong sales from our original, original design and concepts. So yeah, I'd probably say that that is, that is one that hasn't been as successful as we had thought originally it would be. And we, like I said, we had really, really high expectations um, and it still does well, but not to the extent that we, we thought it would. <laughs> um, what is in, in where you're at today? Cause you've yep. been doing this for a long time now. What do you think is your biggest challenge kind of on a daily basis where you wake up and you think, oh, I got to figure this out. Talked about it a little bit earlier, but the product infringers are a constant battle. Literally, like I said, every every few days is something that we have to analyze, um, talk with the patent attorneys on and make sure that there's not infringers out there. And there's also two fronts of it. There's infringers who are basically taking your concept and your patents, right? And trying to work on it. And then there's also counterfeits now where literally they're designing a product with a great scrape brand on it that was not produced by us that we also have to to mitigate. So can you tell right away when you see something? Um, some yes. Um, and some no. So a uh, funny story on that. There was one, we had a few different customers reach out and say, Hey, uh, it's not exactly working the way I thought. And we're like, okay, that's kind of weird. And so we had asked for feedback, right? And say, hey, can you send us some pictures so we can take a peek? Because overwhelmingly, we've had great, great feedback on the the effectiveness of the products. So we're like, okay, that's kind of strange because we don't get a lot of that. So we're like, hey, can you just send us some pictures? And so we're looking at the pictures and like, that's not right. And then, so one of our models is the Woody paddle because it looks like a paddle and that's kind of not very creative, but <laughs> we named it. And this paddle was spelled Woody Padole. So it was, instead of P-A-D-D, it was P-A-D-O-L-E. And they're like, wait a minute here. So then had a track back through how it was like sold to the customer and they had ended up purchasing it through one of the online marketplaces or online retailers and had to narrow it down through that and come back. So it was, um, <laughs> so sometimes things like that, yes, right? And other ones, I, no, we're a little, we have to be a little bit more like, hey, and what we do is we do test buys to review. And sometimes it's, so some are easier than others to be able to identify. I can't even imagine too, if someone bought a product online, like you can't call Mr. Amazon, Jeff, and be like, hey, Jeff, uh, you got this counterfeiter. So Mm -hmm. I I assume your attorneys know to do that, but then attorneys aren't cheap. No, exactly. It's not. And that's one of the biggest challenges, right? So it's unfortunate. So yeah, there's a lot of money invested that is just to do things like that. And to your point, yeah, it's not a simple like, Hey guys, what's going on here? And it's just taken down. It's not, it's a pretty big market out there where anybody can kind of sell what they want anytime now. And it's not an easy, just like, Hey, tell them to stop this. Copyright (laughs) infringement. Yeah. I have a client that has their website's been hacked and Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook is just non-responsive on that. So I can't imagine for copyright infringement, they're really wrestling too hard. It, yeah. Um, a lot of the bigger players, I think what happens is, is we kind of just submit and it gets lost in a shuffle. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, it's I right. mean, kind of part of the game, I guess. Yeah. And you were fortunate enough to develop something cool that people want to emulate. So I guess it kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Thanks. Where are you guys making these now? Are you still making them in Minnesota? Uh, we do have a Minnesota manufacturer, um, also Wisconsin. So we have a couple different manufacturing facilities um, that we leverage. So, Excellent. Well, I am delighted to talk to you. It's going to uh, be something I wanted to get before holiday because I think it's a great tool for people to buy. It's great scrape. 
and it works really great. I have one. I love it. My husband loves it. We're big grillers and it's just fun to talk to you, Andy. So thanks for sharing your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 